Good morning, Downtown Hope. My name is Eli, and it's a joy to worship with you today as we continue our series in the book of Luke called Fulfilled. At Downtown Hope, we are a body of believers seeking gospel transformation in our homes and in our cities. If you're newer here, we're so glad to have you. Be sure to, ch to check out our website at downtownhope.org to get connected. Also, on our website, you can find out more information about in-person gathering and how to reserve your spot for yourself, your family, or your roommates. At this time, I want to invite you, wherever you are, to stand as we prepare our hearts and our minds for worship. For those who are unfamiliar with this practice, the call to worship is not a time where we call on God, but rather is a time when God calls on us, a time when he calls us to come to enter into his presence, to gaze upon his splendor, and glory and to respond to his greatness by worshiping him. The truth is, we all need to be called on, don't we? Because each and every week, every single one of us has found ourselves gazing elsewhere, worshiping other gods, if you will. The God of approval, of comfort, of money, of fame, of status, you fill in the blank. We've been looking to these other lovers for our ultimate sacrifice and, sat and satisfaction and joy. The good news is, just like last Sunday, and Lord willing, the same way he will next Sunday, God calls us back to himself over and over again. He's reminding us that only in him we find true satisfaction and joy. Our call of worship this morning comes from Psalms 33, 11, 22. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord is, are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them all out of their troubles. The Lord is near to be brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. None of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Will you pray with me? Let's go to the Father. Father God, we come to you today because we are thirsty. We believe that you are the living waters that nothing else will truly ever satisfy. Father, meet us here in this place. Meet us as we're scattered all over Annapolis and remind us of your goodness and faithfulness towards us. And may we be compelled by and through this worship gathering today to love you more and to be more and more in love with our neighbors as ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
God from blessings flow praise him all creatures here below praise him above the heavenly home praise father son church. My name is Jason Milani. I am uh, going to be playing music and worshiping with you. Uh, I live here in Baltimore City uh, with my wife and four daughters. Uh, it's my joy to play and sing. I just invite you, wherever you're at, whatever season you're in, be still and enjoy God and sing to him.
with his goodness Oh, lost in his love This is my story This is my song Praising my Savior All the day long This is my story This is my sing that chorus one more time, and I want you to think about your story, about everything that God has been faithful to you, to, to you up to this day, and the promises that he's going to be faithful in the, in the future as well. Sing a blessed assurance one more time. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Sorry about that. Downtown Hope, my name is Luke Harbaugh, and I have the privilege and the honor of serving you as an elder. Each week we take time to reflect on ourselves, reflect on our standing with God, see if there is anything that is standing between us and God, if there is any sin in our lives that we need to confess. Go ahead and take time now. Think through the week. Think through your life, where you are standing with God. Psalm 32, 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit 
there is no deceit. As you have confessed your sins, God has forgiven you. That is the blessed assurance that we have. If you are weighed down by anything else, if there is something that is on your heart that you need additional support for, please reach out to us at prayer at downtownhope.org. Let's continue to praise God. Scheme of man can 
ever pluck me from his hand. Sing that again. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand good morning downtown hope my name is Joey I have the gift of serving our church's lead pastor Jason thank you for offering your gift to lead us in worship through song this morning we we had a plan we had a plan to be in the space this morning but if you look outside and we'll know more uh, you would know more than I would because we're recording the night before uh, snow was coming and so our team again was so sacrificial to come here uh, last night Saturday night that's where we are right now it's weird saying that uh, to you um, to record this gathering so we can worship our king together in our home. So wherever you find yourself this morning, we're so thankful you're joining in with us uh, online. And Lord willing, next Sunday, pending another snowstorm, uh, we will have an in-person gathering. We will continue to stream online, live stream, so you can we can actually participate as one body all together. And also, uh, we're looking to begin some home gatherings uh, for those who don't necessarily feel comfortable coming to the space, but you do. You would want to gather with a couple of people. Um, who are close to you consistently between now and Easter. So uh, just want to uh, touch on a quick logistic before we jump into the word. For those who uh, are feeling comfortable and feel led to come and gather in person, our reservation opens up every Wednesday at 5 p.m. And I just want to say thank you for your incredible patience in this season as we continue to grow and develop as a team uh, with live stream capabilities, getting the space ready, and Lord willing in the days to come to accommodate more people. So if for some reason you, you aren't able to join us in person next Sunday because the reservation's filled up, thank you for being patient in this time. Please pray for us, and we're excited to open up possibilities uh, for more people to gather in the weeks ahead. This morning we're continuing our series called Fulfilled uh, through the Gospel of Luke and we come to one of the most challenging teachings of Jesus this morning in Luke chapter 6. I want to encourage you to follow along with us through the daily. Uh, love the writers of our daily. The Lord is using the daily. It's a, it's a way to, to form in Christ. It's a discipleship tool uh, that we use in our church to encourage uh, the reading of scripture for ourselves. Uh, so many times we just don't actually open up this book for ourselves. Um, one of my favorite times in the day, times in the week, is when Katie and I get to sit together in the morning, have a little coffee, and just talk about what do we learn from Luke today. We're just reading along together as a church. We're connecting in our communities. We're forming into discipleship bands, and we're being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ for the sake of our world. That's our vision. So let me read to us Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. And get ready, this is a, uh, this is a challenging passage, and I'm, I'm just thrilled uh, to walk us through it this morning. But I say to you, and this is Jesus teaching, who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to the one who begs from you. And from the one who takes your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For either, even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we open up this passage this morning, we anticipate that and we believe and we know that you are here even as we're watching this, Lord, even as we're participating in this, joining in through our living rooms, through our computer screens. Your spirit is alive in us and we're asking that you would illuminate, highlight truth to us, that your spirit would convict us of our sin, of the areas of our life that need development and growth and formation. And Lord, I pray for each person viewing and, and participating, joining with us, Lord, whether, whether they identify you as Lord and have been walking with you as a Christian for years and years, or whether they're just maybe for the first time hearing about the message that has come from heaven to earth in you, Jesus, the gospel. Would you work and move in our lives and form us and teach us what it means to be a community that loves our enemies? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. There's a phenomenon in 2020, uh, it wasn't just 2020, but it really grew in 2020, it's called cancel culture. You might have heard of this. What is, what is cancel culture? Cancel culture might be defined as declaring a brand or a person or an organization as over, canceled. This is oftentimes based on some kind of offensive behavior, uh, some kind of shared beliefs that don't fit uh, what society would say is normal, or a person going against their very own brand or uh, that, that exposes a level of hypocrisy. So uh, this year, believe it or not, I don't know if any of you are Mandalorian fans, but even Baby Yoda got canceled. Here's a picture of Baby Yoda, uh, which we know, if you are a Mandalorian fan, his real name is Grogu. Um, Sorry, uh, you know, spoiler alert there. But in one of his episodes, Baby Yoda, Grogu was found eating frog eggs and it was the rampage on the internet and many people were upset. And so it's, it's, there are some things that are funny like that. And then there's other things. Uh, there was cancel Netflix uh, as they were showing uh, some, uh, some episodes, some shows that were actually sexualizing children. And so um, it was, it, you know, so some of these things that come out are really healthy and good around cancel culture. Um, Ellen 
DeGeneres' show, one of the themes of her show, as you may know, is be kind. As it turns out, it was exposed that there was a toxic work culture, including racism, um, in, in her show. And there are many other examples of this. And it's tough because sometimes there's founded uh, reasons for cancel culture. Sometimes there's not. Um, but, but what we have in this passage is one of Jesus' most challenging ethical teachings. It, it, it's almost the opposite of cancel culture. He's, he's teaching something that stands in contrast not only to cancel culture, but in contrast to how we might respond to anyone who is a hypocrite or anyone who is inflicting or intends to flick, inflict harm upon us. And we find that the essence of his teaching in this one phrase in verse 27, he kicks off, he says, but I say to you who hear, and here it is, love your enemies. I just want to let that sink in because if you hear nothing else this morning, I mean, this is love your enemies is what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. Sermon on the Mount here, Luke's account, Sermon on the Plain. We have uh, this teaching of Jesus that flows across his gospels. And in this passage, we discover what, what Jesus does in this passage is he, he unpacks or he teaches us this ethic, this love your enemy ethic. There comes out of this passage a question, a real question that arises out of this teaching, out of this ethic of Jesus. And then there's also an answer to the question. And so that's what we're going to look at. So let's start with Jesus' ethic, love your enemy. This is his enemy love his love your enemy ethic. Now, in this uh, passage, the two words here, love and enemies, the word love uh, in Greek means uh, to love of persons, to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly, to be well pleased or contented at or with. That's a word, uh, love. It's out of the uh, Greek word agape. It's unconditional kind of love. And then the word enemies in Greek is this idea of uh, somebody who is hostile, somebody who is hating, somebody who's a hater, we might say, somebody who is opposing another person. And Jesus says, love the hater. Love, show grace, be pleased with, entertain, welcome into your life the person who is hating on you, who wants to inflict a certain kind of harm upon you. And this is one of his most challenging teachings. I mean, this is where his teaching actually stands apart from other world religions. No other world religion has this explicitly, this ethic, forgiveness, yes, to love, to do good to an enemy, no. It's this is a direct challenge to Darwinian evolution. Uh, it's the opposite of survival of the fittest, if you think about it. This challenges our American individualistic, self-preserving nature. Why would you ever love your enemy? It's not good for you. And you got to think, you have to understand the context Jesus is teaching into here. Okay, 160 years before, you had the Maccabean revolt where Judah Maccabee, uh, you know, thrust out uh, the Greeks from Jerusalem. And, 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 there is, and then what happens after that is the Romans come in. And so the Jewish nation that Jesus is talking to here understands what it means to be occupied by an enemy. The Greeks for a while, solutions, and then the Jewish nation under the Roman Empire. And he says, love, Jesus says, love your enemies. 
And in this passage, in, this, in, the, in the first few verses here, he, he talks about kind of two different kinds of enemies. The first we find in verse 27 and 28. He says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Okay? So what we have here is sort of this, this, uh, this triad of uh, motives, somebody uh, who hates you with their heart, uh, there are words, someone who curses you with their mouth, and then there is your body being affected, somebody who is actually abusing you, and there's a response that Jesus gives to each of these. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. I think it's important to note here that if a person is being ongoingly abused, Jesus isn't saying stay under that abuse. He says, pray for them, okay? He still says, love them. He just doesn't say, continue to stay in that abusive situation. Verse 29 through 30, there's a different kind of enemy. The first kind of enemy there is just a person who would seek to harm you. A second kind of enemy or a second kind of person that would be difficult and challenging to love in verse 29 and 30 is the person that can't actually repay you. And what Jesus, in essence, is saying here is be willing to give to anyone at any time. So we find here, the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other as well. Okay? The one who steals your cloak, give to them your tunic. If they take one outer piece of clothing, be willing to give them the inner piece of clothing. I mean, what, what is Jesus getting at here? He's like, look, everything that you have is not really yours. Are you willing to offer it to anybody at any time? Am I? Are you? Are we as a church? Are we as a community? I mean, this is radical, counterculture community. The one who begs, give to them. If somebody has a need and they ask you for something, it's not to say you shouldn't exercise wisdom in that. It says you should do whatever it takes in that moment to be willing to give to them. I mean, this is Jesus' clear teaching right here. To one who takes your goods, do not demand them back. And then he summarized in verse 31, as you wish to be treated, if you were walking in their path, how would you want to be treated? If you were in need and, they, and, and, and you couldn't pay a person back, would you want them to give to you? Would you want them to offer something to you? Are you willing to do that? Jesus is asking us as a community this morning. And Loving these two types of people, one who would harm you and one who couldn't necessarily repay you, raises a question for Jesus here that he addresses in the next section, 32 to 35. The question that comes up is really, um, why do you love? What really is love to you? What reward do you actually get from love? So verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Verse 33, if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? He goes on a little further. If you lend to those from whom to expect receive, what credit is that to you? He's saying even, even people known as sinners by the religious people of the day, they do that kind of thing. And what Jesus, what is he doing here? He's challenging our motivation for our love. And he's giving us a definition of love. I remember when I was in college and we would go on these college retreats with um, students from Flagler and, and I remember we went to this big home one time and there was this question of like, well, like after dinner, who's going to do the dishes? And I just wanted every time to do the dishes. I wanted to do the dishes, not because I wanted to actually love the people in the room, but I really deep down wanted people to look at me. And so it begs a question, Joey, what were you doing when you were loving the people by doing the dishes. Actually, I was really just loving myself. 
I was loving to the extent that it would benefit me. I mean, maybe you've experienced this. Have you ever poured out love for someone? You went all out and they didn't thank you. They didn't acknowledge it. They didn't repay you. And as a result, you're just bitter and angry at them. Were you really loving them? Was the act actually love or was it actually a self-love? Was it actually something that you were just doing to love yourself? This is what Jesus is saying. Look, to love an enemy, to love someone who wishes harm on you, to love somebody who can't pay you back, that is a true act of love. But this begs another question. And I mean, this is how Jesus' teaching goes. It just question, it just raises questions. The question is, what should your love for your enemy be based upon then? Because if it's not for your own benefit, if it's not for your own self-love, what is it actually rooted in? And Jesus just drops a bomb here in verse 35 and 36. He says, if you love your enemies and you do good and lend expecting nothing in return to people who can't pay you back. Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. You will be like God himself. You will be like a son of God. For he is kind to the ungrateful. Now listen to what Jesus says here. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. So, to give, to love, to serve the enemy, the person who's against you, to, lit, to love the person who can't pay you back, means that you will be mirroring and echoing the deep, profound, merciful love of your Father, who is kind to even those who are ungrateful, and who loves even the evil person. And this ought to stop you and me in our tracks because this brings us to the question that comes out of this teaching. The question of Jesus' ethic. From 1975 to 1990, there was a war in Lebanon, Lebanese civil war. There was much pain and heartache between those of Lebanese descent and those of Syrian descent. Some of you know the story of the war and there was murder and there was injustice on many accounts in many different ways on many different sides. And it was a really horrific thing that happened in our world. Christian Week, uh, there was an article in September of 2016. It was a woman who recounts her journey to Lebanon and she had heard some of the stories of the atrocity firsthand. There were two stories she told. The first was of a pastor who shared the story of how his father was murdered by Syrians. She was in a Lebanese context, and so that, these are the people she was connecting with and speaking with. So, so this pastor tells the story of his father being killed by Syrians. Another woman shared that she was actually held at gunpoint before Syrian soldiers as she held her baby and prayed to God, take me first, don't take my baby. 
And so this question emerges when you face a situation like this, when you hear of atrocities of war, and you can probably, uh, you know, fill in the blank with situations, genocide, uh, historical horrific events that have happened in in the 19th and 20th century. Um, When there is this kind of injustice, the question is, around Jesus' teaching, so Jesus, do our enemies pay for the wrong they committed? Or do they just get off the hook? I'm supposed to love my enemy, Jesus, but what about justice? Think about it. Does does the hateful person, verse 27, get off free? Does the person who curses you have no consequence? Does the abuser get away without any consequence? Does the one who takes your goods? I mean, isn't it right? Isn't it right for people who do wrong to be canceled in 2020? But Jesus' teaching here says something totally, it's, he, he says something different. He says, love. He says, do good. Now, now, just think about verse 35 and 36 with me for a second. Think about how, think about how challenging this is. God is kind to the ungrateful? God is kind to the evil person? I mean, you might be listening to me and say, what, what? God is kind to the evil person? I mean, maybe today you're thinking, how could God be kind to a Kansas City Chiefs fan? <laughs> or how, how could God be kind to the Bucks after, you know, the Patriots traded Tom Brady? But on a more serious note, like how could God be kind to the murderer and the abuser and the child molester and the perpetrator and the racist and the thief and the person who seeks to destroy you? How could God God be kind to Hitler? How could God be kind to Stalin? How could God be kind to someone who's a a mass shooter? Is a Jew supposed to do good to the Nazi? Is a Palestinian supposed to love the Jew? Is the family victim to do good to the person who took their son's life? Is the pastor supposed to do good to the Syrian people after they killed his father? Is the woman supposed to be, do good and love the, the Syrian people after she was held at gunpoint? There seems to be something missing from Jesus' teaching, something that he appears not to be addressing. What is it? What is it that underpins cancel culture? Ad Age, there was an article on cancel culture, and interesting, the subheading said this, celebrities, and here's what it said, incited by the wrath of the internet. Isn't that interesting language? Wrath, it's what we just sung about. What is at the heart of cancel culture? It's a cry for justice. Why? Because deep in your condition and deep in my condition, there is a cry for justice. It's not something you can just ignore. And actually, Adage got the language right. Wrath is the appropriate word for injustice. Righteous, holy, calculated anger against a wrongdoing. You may want to reject that word, but that word is written into your design. It's written into cancel culture. It's why people become angry, rightly angry at injustice. 
And the scripture would say that there is a justice meter that exists in you. And I don't know what you believe this morning. I don't know if you follow Jesus your entire life or you're just like listening and hearing this for the first time, but there is a justice meter in you that exists because this is what scripture says. You know, the world is not how it ought to be. I know the world is not how it ought to be. The world is not right. There are things that are distorted, that are crooked, that are misaligned, that are wrong, that are sin, not just, things that are not just. And so we long as a people in our condition for justice. And when we think about a person, an enemy, someone who has inflicted unthinkable harm and abuse, the question emerges, what about justice? And I think it's incredibly interesting, but not surprising, that what we find in the ambiguous ethical light of our late modern culture that struggles to define truth is a deep cry for justice. So how can Jesus' ethic of love your enemy be justified if there's no consequence for the perpetrator? The woman picks up her account from Lebanon. She was there listening to this pastor's story of whose father was murdered by Syrians. And she said, this pastor has a church and the church has a mission. And they have a mission and a vision to reach Syrian families, to welcome Syrian families into the family of God. In fact, at one gathering, he invited a Syrian refugee to the front of the church so he could wash the feet of this man in front of the entire congregation to remind them what it looks like to love and forgive. Someone who represented, who represents as a people group, the person, the group that killed his father, here he was acting in this forgiving way. The church, shockingly, exploded with growth. Two-thirds of the church are now Syrian refugees. The woman who prayed at gunpoint is now part of a church that cares for 500 displaced Syrians, families. She has families she visits now. Every week she has tea, she says, with her enemies, although she says, except now, of course, they're friends, enemies, for her have become friends. What gave them strength? What gave this pastor strength to, to reimagine the mission of his church to minister and care for his enemies? What gave this woman her ability to have tea with her quote-unquote enemies? What could ever give you and me and our community a heart to love our enemies like that? I mean, what would that look like for you? What would that look like for me? What would that look like for us? And this is where we have to pick up Jesus' teaching that it sits in an incredibly important context, in the context of his mission. His teaching can never be separated out from his mission and the mission of God as revealed in scripture. You can't pull those things apart. They go together. This wasn't for Jesus just a moral teaching. 
It is actually what he incarnated. It is actually what he embodied. You see, we crave justice. You crave justice because you know the world is not how it ought to be. And the world is not how it ought to be because of what scripture says is sin. Sin is like a degenerative disease that affects every part of who we are. And the same sin that was in the man who murdered the pastor's father is in you and it's in me. And this is the scandal at the heart of Jesus' teaching. Not that we ought to love our enemies alone, but also that we find ourselves as enemies of a perfect, holy, loving God due to our sin. And so you read this teaching and I read this teaching and understandably we're like, who can do this? I don't have it in me. And yet the scripture perfectly answers the question of justice for the wrongdoer. You see, the answer to Jesus' ethic of enemy love is found on almost every page of the scripture. It's a story that goes from bookend to bookend. Romans 5, 6 through 10 says it this way. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just completely flips the script on us. Just like Jesus always does. Paul goes on in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. How does the question get answered to Jesus' teaching? What unlocks this teaching? And the answer is the cross. The scripture as a whole and Jesus' life in particular tells the account of a God who himself came to love his very own enemies at the expense of his own life. In fact, the same word used in Romans 5 is the same word Jesus is used, uses here in Luke chapter 6. The scandal of this teaching is the proposal that people get away for their atrocity, yes, but on the cross we discover God doing something amazing. We find our perfect God, God the Son, absorbing the punishment for our sin, paying the cost himself. The wrath of the Father comes down upon the Son. The right anger, the righteous anger for the injustices and the weight and the effects of sin in the world come down upon the Son. It's what we just sang. Christ bears the punishment for the perpetrators. He takes upon himself the wrath that God rightly has to pay for the atrocities of sin and its effects in the world. God doesn't make you pay and he doesn't make me pay. He pays for us. He himself came to bear our sins. This is why 1 Peter uh, 2, 22 to 24 says it this way. He committed no sin. 
Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the judge who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body on his tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you and I have been healed. Is that true of you this morning? Run to a God who is justice and run to the same God who is love. The ethic that Jesus is proposing, this radical teaching of enemy love, is impossible outside of the resource that Christ embodied himself when in love he laid down his life. And so for the Christian, for you, for me, those of us who are in Christ, and if you're not in Christ, turn to Christ. Unique to the Christian, we no longer have to seek vengeance. And therefore, we are free to love the enemy. What is happening on the cross? What is happening on the cross is God is himself loving his enemy. I love how Miroslav Volf's uh, theologian says it this way, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Do you see what's happening? There are two different kinds of exclusions. But no one can be in the presence of the God of the crucified Messiah for long without overcoming this double exclusion. Without transposing the enemy from the sphere of the monstrous into the sphere of shared humanity and herself from the sphere of proud innocence into the sphere of common sinfulness. When one knows, as the cross demonstrates, that the torture will not eternally triumph over the victim, one is free to rediscover that person's humanity and imitate God's love for him. And when one knows, as the cross demonstrates, that God's love is greater than all sin, one is free to see oneself in the light of God's justice and so rediscover one's own sinfulness. It's the cross of Christ where perfect justice occurs. And it is out of that justice that flows the most radical kind of love the world has ever seen. It's what causes people to forgive those who have murdered their family. It's the power that gives people the capacity to love even the enemy, even the one who is against them. There is a teaching, and I just want to talk about this briefly because I think it's important to to say this on a morning while we're dealing with this subject. There is a teaching in in our American Western context, uh, maybe not just... American, but Western in general, the question is, why did Jesus actually have to die? And maybe some of you have had that question. And a passage like this points us to the very answer to that question. The, the, the question goes like this, isn't the cross just cosmic child abuse? Isn't the cross just archaic? The response I would give to those questions, though they may be heartfelt, is just ask cancel culture. I mean, look upon your world. Hear the ache, see the injustice, listen to the cries, hear the cries of the abused, hear the cries of those discriminated against for the color of their skin or their ethnicity, hear the harassed, hear of the molested, hear of the violated, hear of the innocent victim, hear the unborn crying out, hear those who are starving at the hands of the corrupt, hear those who are abused under totalitarian uh, regimes, 
Hear those who are enslaved to the sex sex slave trade globally. Hear those cries. I would ask the question, are you in touch with a world suffering under the effects and outplaying of corruption and sin? How does injustice actually accounted for in your framework of reality? That's a question you have to ask and wrestle with. Who gets punished? Who receives the consequences for these horrific atrocities? Do these enemies just go go free? And, And I have to say, with a little bit of cynicism, that it makes sense to me that the children of the American evangelical subculture who have lived their life in middle-class comforts, this is me, by the way, who have been, in many ways, safe from the kind of severe global suffering that many people in the world face, that the question of whether the cross is needed comes out of that population. Did Jesus really have to die? It's proper that you would ask that question. It's proper that you would attempt to extract any doctrine that disrupts the comfortability of your existence, things like the cross and judgment and hell. It makes sense to me that that question would be asked. But you ask the mothers who have had their children murdered. You ask the families victims of those of mass shootings thinking about the Charleston Nine. You ask the victims of abuse. You ask the ones who have suffered genocide. Ask them about injustice and ask them if the cross is of meaning and you will find out it is of utter, absolute, glorious meaning. I don't know how you make sense of the effects of sin and suffering in the world and certainly there is no other resource to live this ethical code outside of the cross, the glorious, painful, wonderful cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is justice that empowers love in the world. And this is what marks a Christian. This is what differentiates a Christian from the rest of the world. One of the key marks is how you treat your enemies. See, religion cannot create that type of thing in you. And if we start to just think about what if we lived like this in our communities? What if when people persecuted us and came after us and slandered us and yelled at us, our response was prayer and love for them? You see, what Jesus is shaping here in the Sermon on the Mount is an alternative society, a counterculture. And how desperate, how desperate the divided world we live in now is for this teaching. So I just want to ask you a question here and you could pause for a moment on your screen just to process with those in your house, process with those around you, process with your community group, with those you're walking alongside of in discipleship this week. I want to ask you, who is one person you consider an enemy in your life and what would it look like to love them this week? Don't give us any theoretical ideas about it. Be concrete. Who do you perceive as an enemy? Somebody who can't pay you back, someone who wishes harm upon you. And what would it look like to follow and live out Jesus' teaching this week? Let's pray. Father, I ask that 
we ask for your grace. We thank you for the grace that flows from the cross to our hearts. A kind of grace that is supernatural, a kind of grace that comes from heaven to earth, a kind of grace that flows out of your perfect sacrifice for us, taking on yourself our sins, giving us your righteousness in place, and setting us free, unleashing us to love the world, even our enemies. Lord, I pray not only for the people of Downtown Hope, but I pray for the local churches in our city, and I pray for the church of this county, this region, our nation, and your church, your global church across the planet. Father, would you continue to empower us and teach us what it means to love the most unlovable, we would say, in our lives. We are desperate for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the cross. And we pray this in your name, Jesus, amen. Each week we come together to partake in this supper, this meal. First Corinthians chapter 11 says it this way. Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as you're sitting around your home now, you could pause, you could go grab a piece of bread and you can break it. If you're by yourself, you can serve yourself. If you have others around you, you can serve others around you. This is Christ's body for you. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You can take the cup and take your piece of bread and dip it in at this time. You can pass it around and serve one another. This is the blood of Christ poured out, shed for forgiveness for you. You are free and I am free to love even our enemies. I want to invite you to continue as we sing this last song together. Let's sing our hearts out to our King. song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever be Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you Worthy of all the praise we could ever be 
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever see. Worthy of every breath we could ever
life around the person of Jesus. We build our life around his teaching and we build our life around his incredible act of love for us on the cross. Each week as we gather, we practice things. We practice confession. We practice call to worship. We practice and we live out song together. These things are all formative in our lives. They're means of grace. And one of our practices as a church is giving and we practice something called first fruits giving. Uh, if you consider yourself part of Downtown Hope, a member of our church, if you are a member of our church or you consider Downtown Hope your church home, one, we would just want to thank you for your generosity in, in 2020 and into 2021. We want to encourage you to continue to give sacrificially and generously. Let the Lord lead you in that. Uh, you can give by clicking the give button on our homepage. Uh, you can also give by writing uh, checks and sending them to 255 West um, as well. We're looking forward to opening up opportunity for people, uh, for the family to gather in person next Sunday. Again, remember to... our. Uh, uh, maintain your reservation, reserve your spot on our website starting at, on Wednesday at 5 p.m. And we will continue to do a virtual streaming for those who cannot make it. I'd like to send us here from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. It's a great benediction. It's a great sending for us this morning. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good. Love that. Even loving our enemies. May he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's live life together this week, loving even the most unlovable, even our enemies. Go in peace. Thank you.